Good morning. My name is Mindy. Today's reading comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. Parents and guardians of children in kindergarten through second grade, you are invited to escort your kids to the front of the room to join Kids Commons outside. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. God is good. And all the time. Open this up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in this moment, may you increase and I decrease. Speak a word to us, Lord. We need to hear from you. We pray like this in your name, Jesus Christ. And church said? Amen. Good morning, beloveds. My name is David Rameau. I've been a member here at Haverhill Commons for the last three years now. I'm the son of Jean and Darkling Rameau. My parents came from Haiti, so I grew up learning Haitian Creole and English at the same time. I'm Haitian American. I'm black. Brother to Joanne, Gina, Darling, and Joshua Rameau. I'm Mindy's husband. Son-in-law to Patsy and Wayne Fish the proud father of Theo and Lainey. 
I was born and raised in Boston and moved to Brockton during my high school years. I also went to Gordon College. Everything I've shared so far is a part of my story. And hopefully there was something in there that you guys have seen where we can connect, relate to, maybe even see that we could be friends. If not, that's okay. Um, that probably just means I have more of my story I have to share with you. When I was a young, well, when I was an infant, I nearly died from a severe asthma attack. When I was at a very young age, I was introduced to pornography and that hunger grew. At the age of 14, I preached my first sermon. At the age of 15, I began stealing my parents' vehicle to go on joy rides, which led me down a dark path. They know this. <laughs> During my college years, I realized how hurt and angry I was at the church for ignoring my cry for help. You're the golden child, David. No one can know of your imperfections. I was so hurt. Are we connecting yet? Do I fit in? Which one do I introduce myself to you with that gives me street cred to say, I belong here? Because right now, and for the majority of my life, I feel out of place. The Mayo Clinic Health System says, the sense of belonging is fundamental to the way humankind organizes itself. If it was unimportant, we would live solitary lives, only coming together for procreation, then quickly kicking the children out of our lives as soon as they could walk. So it's clear. We're not just about getting together and having kids, even though, as you've heard, it is booming in our church, folks. <laughs> we as a human race have a deep desire to connect to one another, to live in community, to have a sense of belonging. Yet, perhaps, like me, you felt out of place, constantly trying to figure out where you fit in. Sometimes we start to feel like things are starting to come together, make sense, feel like home, and then something happens that gives us a reality check, that makes us realize that we don't belong as much as we thought. What happens when you believe you found that place of belonging just to realize that you don't belong as much as you thought? To be so sure only to find that you have not figured it out yet. As a parent, these moments happen more often for me than not. Take, for example, my amazing son, Theo. I get on him a lot if he's doing something and says this phrase. I don't know. If he's swinging his metal water bottle around near his sister and I ask, hey, Tev, what are you doing? And he responds with, I don't know. I see red. I'm like, then, then don't do it. 
because I know me, and I know why I do the things I do. So I call baloney that you, my son, have not thought this action through. And I believe you know exactly why you're swinging your water bottle around. I think your intention is to bother your sister. So stop. See, one of the places I think I fit in and belong is with me. Why? Because there's only one me. I check all the boxes. I know me. No surprises here. I fit right in. So if I do something, I know why I'm doing it. I know my intentions. So if I know me, which is a sure thing, you must know you, right? At least that's the expectations I have for my children, especially my son, until, until I do something that shatters my marriage, ruins my friendships, puts my position at church in jeopardy, puts my job in jeopardy, Ruins me financially, and my closest friends ask, why'd you do it? And I look at them in shock and say, honestly, I don't know. I, I guess there were some things in my past, some old habits I thought I kicked that I didn't. Honestly, I don't know. The one thing I thought I knew that I could let my guard down on was not true. I am a work in progress. Emphasize on the work. I'm glad you guys didn't say amen. Like I just, I just said that. A lot of work that still needs to be done. But I was so sure, folks. I was so sure. I thought of all things I know me. Now, I don't only feel out of place out there. I feel out of place in here. So where, where do I fit in? One guy who didn't exactly know where he belonged was Moses. He was caught in between two worlds. Born Hebrew, raised Egyptian. Never completely at home in either. Yet this morning, I think we'll see that God had a plan for Moses. We entered this fall focusing on Jubilee, recalibrating our world for the common good. In other words, this world is very broken and messy, and we as Christians aren't necessarily doing our part to help restore it. It's hard to make things right in the world if we are still in turmoil within ourselves. We must be grounded in our hearts of who we are in Christ. Amen? A couple of Sundays ago, Pastor Marcus preached on the courage of the midwives, Moses' sister and Moses' mom. In the lengths of which these women went to keep Moses safe was remarkable. Moses being nursed by his mom in preparation to be Pharaoh's uh, daughters. Moses being nursed by his mom in preparation to be Pharaoh's daughter grew up in limbo. He had the Hebrew home and the Egyptian palace. There had to be songs or sounds or smells that as a child made him feel at home. 
In the movie, Prince of Egypt, that as a church we do not theologically claim to be sound, it had to be that lullaby moment. Moses is doing these things, and all of a sudden he goes, hush now, my baby, be still. And he's like, wait, I know that song. That lullaby moment had to make, make him feel at home. Yet the Hebrew home and the Egyptian were in conflict. Those two homes were in conflict. So he leans into one, hoping that would drown out the other. He leans into one, hoping that would drown out the other. Earlier, I shared how I've been hurt by the church. I thought by hiding my childhood trauma, addiction to pornography, and everything else I experienced had to be locked up and hidden away. If people came to me with similar struggles, I did not say, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. I had to respond with, have more faith. Pray harder. Blah, blah, blah. With all respect. So I leaned on the church because I wanted to belong. Hear me, I leaned on the church, not God. My focus was the people, the broken people. I leaned on them until the thing that I did not want to do, I was doing, and those people, the church, shamed me, and the world called me hypocrite. Where do I go? Where do I belong? Do I go to church and just hide this part of me? What part of your story are you keeping hidden? What or who are you leaning on or into to drown it all out? As Moses begins to wrestle with similar questions, a shift begins to occur. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, or just listen, or if they have it up there, just follow. It's going to be Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. This is where we begin to see the foundation beginning to shift for Moses. He's been working so hard to embrace his Egyptian side, and now that he's all grown up, the things he thought he would get over as a child resurfaces. Exodus 2, starting at 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. The word of God. In verse 11 and 12, we see that hiding his experience as a Hebrew did not make his anger go away. Leaning on, his, 
leaning on his Egyptian lifestyle did not drown out his Hebrew experience. One could imagine the anger Moses felt towards the Egyptians when he saw how they treated the Hebrews. The anger he must have felt with himself for ignoring his fellow Hebrews. I imagine as Moses was wrestling with this as a child, his thoughts were, do like a kid's voice because you know, he was a child. He's like, yeah, this is like childhood stuff. If I just ignore it, I'll get through it. And when I become a man, it will go away. I will feel fully Egyptian. Newsflash. Trauma does not go away when you refuse to talk about it or address it. The body keeps the score. And that day, at that moment, it surfaced. What he thought he could ignore as a child resurfaced. What he thought he could ignore as a child resurfaced. Anyone able to relate to that? Don't raise your hands. I will. I'll be like, yeah, fast. Oh, shit. Hmm. In verse 13 and 14, here we see Moses starting to lean into his Hebrew side, only to be metaphorically slapped back into reality. Who are you? You're joking, right? Who made you rule and judge over us? Who do you think you are? So much for embracing that identity. Poor Moses. Now Moses is like, okay, I guess this Hebrew thing is not going to work out. But wait, I, I can't go back to being an Egyptian because now Pharaoh wants me dead. Contrary to what the movie Prince of Egypt says. Our boy Moses is floating, meaning he's up in the air and cannot land because he does not see any place that he could call home. The internal conflict that he's been experiencing his whole life has now entered the external realm. And what does he do? He looks left and right and addresses the situation like he did with the Egyptian beating the Hebrew. No. Moses looks left and right and realizes, realizes the cat's out of the bag, and he runs. Running and fighting is a surface-level distraction. Moses is not addressing the deeper issue. Who are you running to? And are you engaging in fights and running away to avoid addressing the deeper issues? Moses must have felt alone carrying that internal and external weight. Just feeling out of place. I'd imagine, now this is Moses grown, so I won't do the kid's voice. There's no one like me. No one has experienced the trauma and pain I had to endure as an infant. I've tried to reconcile my purpose and place in life. And for what? To go back to square one? My life started with Pharaoh trying to kill me, and here we go again. This is too much. I just want to belong. I just want to fit in and fight for my people. I guess I'll go because I don't belong here. This brings us to verse 16. In verse 16 through 22, we see Moses not only accepting that he's out of place, 
but starts running to a new place, and he's accepted. The Midianites accept him, and I encourage you guys to read Exodus 2. In fact, I encourage you to read the whole Bible. Just get out, you know, just read the whole thing. It's all good. But in Exodus chapter 2, verses 21 to 22, we see that they accept him. He's made part of the family, literally. Finally, a place where he can rest and lay his head. Fast forward approximately 40 years, and we're at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. But that beautiful church member read, she was amazing. My wife, in case we been recorded, it's my wife. <laughs> in this passage, we see God turning to Moses and making it Moses' problem. This is God saying to Moses, my guy, you cannot run and hide. I see that you are comfortable with the Midianites, but you can't pretend you're not Hebrew. And you can't pretend that you weren't raised by an Egyptian family, the Egyptian princess. Talk about being shell-shocked. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Going through this series, we've talked about ways to challenge ourselves to use our power, privilege, and position to help our broken world. But do you see yourself as powerful, positioned well, privileged? In Exodus chapter 3, we have an idea of what Moses thought in regards to feeling powerful, positioned well, and privileged. If you turn with me or again follow on the screen, you see in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 to 12, it reads, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So we see that Moses responded with, Finally, I was waiting for someone to see my awesomeness and what I bring to the table. <laughs> Negative. Moses is like, we are, looking at the, are we looking at the same situation here? Powerful? Positioned well? Privileged? Who am I? In other words, do you know who I am? Because you're asking me to go to Pharaoh, and I've tried leaning on my Egyptian identity, and now Pharaoh wants me dead. And then I thought, I'll lean on my Hebrew identity, and they looked at me as if I was an imposter. So again, God, are we looking at the same situation? In verse 12, we see God respond with, oh, geez, Moses, sorry, wrong guy, negative. He responds with, I am with you. Moses' desire to fit in and belong should be filled when the creator of the universe says, I am with you. The one who formed his very being, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God is the beginning, God is the end. That means God sets the standard for what fits and what belongs in between. He says, I am with you. Therefore, you fit. You belong. A few things I want to make sure, make clear 
and leave with you guys today is one, you belong to God. You are so unique, so different, that if you try to find someone like you in this world, you're going to be highly disappointed. Yes, you'll find people that have many of the same boxes checked off as you, but not all. You're unique. The second point is that our traumas and life experiences are not meant to paralyze us and have the last word. Tell your story. God might have something to offer this broken world through us that might be missed if someone with our unique experiences didn't offer it. Our sharing can help them heal. Tell your story. And what better way to start doing that than in a a church community? And my third point, let us surrender our hearts to God and stand on the firm foundation of Christ alone as we do the hard work of embracing all the parts of who we are, all the ups and downs of our story. The foundation we speak of is the body of Christ gathered in the world, us, the church. The only real way we can embrace all the parts of our story is by sharing it with others, which means being in some kind of community where we can trust each other, feel safe with each other, and be honest with each other. What better place than the church? I know there's no perfect church, but there's a perfect God. And he says, when two or three are gathered in his name, he is here. We tend to focus more on the two or three that are gathering than if God is present. Or you do what I mentioned earlier, which is lean on the people in the church instead of cultivating a personal relationship with God. And when you find out people are flawed and broken, you say, the God they worship must be the same way. You walk away. I leave you with this, my beloveds. Do not forsake the church. It's not all internal, personal faith. It's also the collective community. You belong to God, and God calls us into fellowship. He calls us to share our story, not so we can brag about ourselves and our freedom, but to glorify God and help heal and free others. It's hard not to think it's about us. This is why we surrender our hearts to God daily while remaining in fellowship with one another. You belong to God. Tell your story, and let's continue to surrender our hearts to God and stand on the firm foundation of Christ alone. Let's pray.